Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, June 16th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what we're watching today. The Biden administration's order to protect LGBTQ rights. Plus, an FDA panel endorses vaccines for our youngest children. But first, the Fed gets aggressive on inflation. That's today's one big thing. Interest rates are going up. In the most aggressive rate hike since 1994, the Federal Reserve yesterday agreed to raise interest rates three-quarters of a percentage point. Plus, Fed officials gave some indication of what they're expecting for our economy for the rest of the year. Neil Irwin is Axios' chief economic correspondent and was at the Fed for the announcement yesterday. Hi, Neil. Hi, Nyla. So the headline is that interest rates are going up, but can you help us understand what this move indicates about where the economy is and where it's headed? So basically what the Federal Reserve is trying to do is take an economy that is running, in their view, just too hot. There's too much demand out there, too much money floating around for too few goods. The result is this high inflation we have. They're trying to reduce demand. They're trying to make people spend less. Uh, They're trying to, to slow the economy down, to come into better balance and hopefully bring inflation down. The cost of that, of course, is higher interest rates and less activity. Chairman Jerome Powell said the goal is to bring inflation back to 2%. How long will that take? I mean, if you look at the Fed's own forecast, they think it'll take you know at least a couple of years. It really is anybody's guess. We, we just don't know. We're in such an unusual environment with all the energy pressures coming from the Ukraine war, all the, the kind of post-pandemic things resettling. So we don't know whether this interest rate campaign combined with maybe a little bit of luck on, on those other factors might bring inflation down relatively quickly or whether inflation is really getting baked into the cake and becoming part of how employers demand wages, part of how uh, companies set prices and might actually be with us for quite some time or require a more stringent, more aggressive move yet from the Fed to try and bring it down. One thing some people, including economists, warned about during the recession was that we were pumping a lot of money into the economy. How much did that play a part in what we're seeing now? I think it did definitely play a role. Uh, So with hindsight, was the American Rescue Plan that passed last March too big? In hindsight, did the Fed keep rates too low for too long? Certainly, uh, you know, it's hard to argue with that given this mismatch we see between supply and demand in the economy. That said, even if all that stuff had been done perfectly, we still probably would have quite high inflation right now as we see around the world because of these geopolitical things affecting energy prices, because of supply disruptions, because of the pandemic. So some of this was baked in because of these very unusual circumstances. Some of it at the edges certainly came from both fiscal and monetary policy that was just too loose for the circumstances. Neil, I was watching the news conference yesterday after the Fed met, and it was somewhat of a surprise to me to hear the Fed say they were surprised by how much inflation has increased recently. Can you explain to me, Neil, why economists are surprised by what we're seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, it was a very serious analytical error that, to be fair, the Fed made basically the entire community of professional economists made the same error. If you look last year, you know, they they really did believe that the supply disruptions caused by the pandemic were, were a one-time thing that would kind of work themselves out, that the energy price uh, spikes of last spring, summer would go away, that there were unique, weird things going on with the used car market and things like that. And what turned out to be the case is that with all this money floating around, even as the, the composition of inflation changed somewhat, uh, it still remained very, very high. How much more pain do you think American consumers are going to suffer because of high prices? 
I mean, look, this is a very perilous moment because you know you could easily see a situation in the coming months where we have stagflation, which is to say that the the Fed's rate increases are actually cause a recession or stagnant growth. But meanwhile, the inflation's still with us and takes longer to go away. That's a very gloomy situation. I still think this could escape recession, but every day that passes, every you know day of rates spiking the way they have been the last couple of weeks, every day of uh, markets dropping the way they have the last couple of weeks, those odds get a little longer. Neil Irwin is Axios's chief economic correspondent. Thanks, Neil. Thanks so much, Nyla. In a moment, a reality check on President Biden's newest executive order on LGBTQ rights. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. In celebration of Pride Month, President Biden yesterday signed an executive order to strengthen protections for people in the LGBTQ community. But how much could it really accomplish? Orion Rumler, a reporter at the 19th, is here to explain how that could work. Hi, Orion. Hi, Nyla. It's so great to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us. What are the specifics of this order? It addresses a few broad issues facing the LGBTQ community, including older LGBTQ adults, LGBTQ homelessness, gender-affirming care, which is when uh, kids have access to puberty blockers or hormone therapy, or when trans adults have hormone therapy or gender-affirming surgeries. What the executive order is doing is asking agencies to start making a plan to address these issues. It does give a timeline for some of these proposals, like January 1st next year is the deadline for the Department of Health and Human Services to put together a response in opposition to anti-LGTBQ bills. The order says that The HHS secretary has to release sample policies for states to expand access to health care, including gender-affirming care, within 200 days. At a press call that uh, White House did yesterday morning, I did ask what promoting that care looks like when at least 16 states have tried to ban that care this year. And they reiterated that this executive order is focused on states that actually want to expand care, and they've taken actions against states trying to ban it in other ways, like encouraging patients or practitioners to file complaints to the HHS Civil Rights Office if they've had their care denied. One of the things this order is intended to do is to protect LGBTQ youth from conversion therapy. Other countries, notably most recently Canada, have banned conversion therapy. Does this executive order come close to that? No, it does not. It denounces conversion therapy, which we know from some Trevor Project data that LGBTQ kids in this country are still exposed to or threatened to be exposed to by caretakers. The executive order says within 180 days of this executive order, the Secretary of State, Secretary of the Treasury, and the U.S. Agency for the International Development has to develop an action plan to promote an end to conversion therapy around the world. That's the part of their conversion therapy proposal here that actually has a timeline. And as I'm reading it, I don't see a timeline for its other proposals around conversion therapy that are are more domestic. Like it's asking HHS to consider whether it should issue guidance around conversion therapy. So more asking agencies to make a plan on this. How have advocates reacted to this executive order? Several major LGBTQ groups were praising this executive order uh, yesterday. And many of them, like Trevor Project, they pointed out that these are some of their top priorities. Like for them, it was conversion therapy. But there are some outstanding issues that they're worried about. 
Advocates and experts also say they're waiting for the Biden administration to actually flesh out its interpretations of a non-discrimination clause in the Affordable Care Act that has to do with gender-affirming care, and also waiting on interpretation about Title IX as well. Orion Rumler is a reporter at The 19th. That's a nonprofit newsroom reporting on gender, politics, and policy. Thanks, Orion. Thank you so much, Nyla. I appreciate talking with you. Dr. Anthony Fauci has tested positive for COVID-19. The 81-year-old is fully vaccinated and boosted and is experiencing mild symptoms. Fauci, President Biden's top medical advisor, has been a leading voice guiding the country through the pandemic. And this is the first time he's contracted the virus. Dr. Fauci is one of more than 100,000 new COVID cases still being identified each day in the U.S., a figure that stayed relatively consistent over the month of June. And in other COVID news, an FDA advisory panel voted yesterday to authorize both the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines for kids ranging from six months to five years old. The decision to approve the vaccine now goes to the FDA and the CDC. And the White House said shots for young kids could begin as early as next week. That's it for us today. By the way, don't forget to follow us on your podcast app to make sure you don't miss any episodes. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.